Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. This episode focuses on the aspect of prison life which is often overlooked in its importance, being released and prepared for the outside world. Lucy Eccleston works with prisoners on a one-to-one basis, providing them with the support and practical skills which will better help them to succeed and in turn not re-offend. Through the Gate is often criticised for not delivering on the promise It's challenging work, but the reality is very much about two people working together to make a difference. And as my guest Lucy knows, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Lucy, thanks for coming on my podcast to talk to me about the work that you do, because that's what I'm interested in, the work that you do. But before we get into the the minute detail, if you like, the day-to-day challenges that you face. Tell me how how you got into the work that you do today and then tell me what the work is that you do today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um, so it was a bit unexpected, to be honest, me working here. Um, I ended up leaving school, went to sixth form, applied for university and decided to defer my offer never ended up going and then I ended up just doing some agency work at different places and there was this one job came up doing admin for the unpaid work team in Wakefield and um, ended up starting there and then I ended up being there three and a half years nearly and then I just felt like a bit of passion in offenders and reducing reoffending and all this and that so I did a lot of different things so I started from just doing the unpaid work admin and then I ended up doing some IT work down in London for quite a few months on and off and then one day I decided oh I'd really like to go into a prison so I ended up doing a couple of days work experience at HMP Humber and then a job came up at HMP Leeds where I am now and I've been here ever since. So it was quite unexpected. I would never, when I were in school, I was like, I studied law for a bit. I'm pretty sure I failed law. I got a U. And then... <laughs> Does that even exist, a U? I thought it was you know as what? low as E. Incredible. Yeah, I got a U. So totally wrote that off. I was like, right, I can't really do this. And then I ended up working, working for the probation service and then fell in love with it, really. And then I ended up getting the job at HMP Leeds and I've now been here for a year and a half. Take me back to where you get this this desire to work in uh, uh, offending programmes or projects or, or work towards helping people rehabilitate. I mean, where does that come from? I mean, do, do you have a family of criminals and you thought, right, or oh, have you been in <laughs> trouble with the law yourself? I mean, people don't just wake up one morning and think, right, I'm going to try and change the life of a prisoner. Yeah. Unless, of course, you've watched my series inside the world's toughest prisons and you might be inspired 
Yeah. I mean, where did it come from? Do you know, I've always been a very much so people person. I can talk to anyone. I can literally talk to a brick wall. So I think when I was in my old job and we had to ring up people to see about the unpaid work, setting up their inductions when they've been to court. And I think I just found it a bit fascinating. And then it came in that we were going to cover reception duties over dinner. So they were all coming in for their appointments and I'm talking to them. And they were like, oh, this is great. I really like speaking to these people. And then I think it just came from there. And then when I did the few days at HMP Humber, I just found it so easy to talk to them. And I suppose, I don't really know. I'm just, I'm a person that can speak to anyone. And obviously, it's just worked in my favour. But talking to anyone, including a brick wall, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, is one thing. Yeah, but, of course. But, but going from that to where you are now, did you say that you worked in the probation service before you went into Leeds Prison? Yeah. So when I got the temporary job doing unpaid work admin, that was for probation. So I did, like I said, I did a range of different things there. And I suppose it was just becoming familiar with the whole probation system and, you know, watching programmes on TV, you know, 24 hours in police custody, stuff like that. You know, it always kind of fascinated me. So I think once I started, I've always been the same where... If I enjoy something, I'll learn it. And that's been the same with my job now and my previous job when I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And I literally knew everything like the back of my hand, what a community order, suspended sentence, unpaid work, RAD is. And I think I just got to grips with everything. And it's same with when I started here. And because I enjoy what I do and I speak to all these different people, it's just become really easy. What do you do? So I work for Through the Gate team, part of probation. In a nutshell, I work with people that are in prison that are coming up to their release from custody. So when they come into prison, they will get assigned someone from my team. So they'll get interviewed on admission. They'll have their basic custody screening done by someone from Catch-22 who are like a bit of a partner organisation. So they deal with accommodation, housing, finance, and then they'll get triaged. So that depends on what level they're at. So it could be they're going to be homeless or they've got drug issues or they've got mental health issues and they'll be levelled and then sent to one of us and we'll then work with them throughout the time in custody. So it could be anything from completing interventions, making referrals for floating support in the community, loads of different things really. It's very different and every day is different, absolutely. And and these individuals that are coming into Leeds Prison, and this could be replicated in any prison across the country, are these serious offenders? Are they offenders that are serving short sentences? Are they remand offenders? I mean, what type of offenders are we, are we talking about? I mean, you mentioned that some might be homeless, some might be using drugs. I mean, what kind of offenders do you deal with on a day-to-day basis? We've got a vast majority. Leeds is a Cat B prison. So, and it is a remand prison, but we've got people that are coming in for a two week recall. But then you could have had someone that's just been sentenced to life. So it really differs. You know, I work with guys that could be in for a month, I could be working with guys that are in for six months, or I could have someone that's just been transferred here because they've got a parole hearing and they've just served 15 years inside. It really differs. So it's a massive, massive different range of people. Before we deal with more of what you do with these range of people, just just tell me what it was like for you the first time you rocked up at Leeds Prison had to go in. Because like you said, you watch this stuff on TV, but the reality of standing in front of a big gate with a brick wall with barbed wire is very different. Talk me through your experience. So I remember my first day and I'd met someone else from my team out here and Leeds is like a Victorian style prison. So imagine a centre and then different wings going off from, and you can, you stand in this centre and you can see all these different wings in front of you. And Do they call that the pe- Penopoly or something like that? Yeah, I think That's so. That's kind of official name. Yeah, it's, it's... this is the centre corridor, everyone calls it the centre corridor at Leeds. And this was before COVID time, so obviously there were, there were no restricted regimes, anything like that, everything were normal. And I remember the guy who was showing me around, it was like, are you ready? And I was like, I'm ready. And he opened the door 
to the centre corridor and it was literally just like walking into a nightclub. Like the echo, it was so loud. It was just shouting and screaming, music, everything. And I remember walking through the wing and everyone were like, where do you work? Where do you work? Where do you work? And they were just like, it was, it was so strange to be in that environment from never being in a prison before, well, apart from when I had that couple of days experience. But Leeds is a very, very busy busy prison and I just walked in and I'm like oh my god what is happening it was crazy and people were asking you questions about where you work and what you do yeah and what about because Leeds is a, a, an all-male prison right yeah that's right you're a young attractive female walking into into this environment I'd ask the same question of a of a good-looking young man as well yeah but of course, I think yeah. I think guys in prison you know what what was that experience like being a female walking into a male prison and I asked that question for you to educate the the audience yeah. not for my own yeah I mean at first strange and I suppose it is intimidating walking into a bunch of men from different ages from age 20 to 70 80 it really differs but at first I just thought oh my god this is really really scary but I think especially now people know who I am walking around and they have a lot of respect for you and I have found that working with men they have time for you you know if I worked with women would that be a different story I really don't know but from my perspective I've always got on with working with men and you know they have a lot of respect and I suppose I see you as a bit of a not a mother figure but in a way yeah because, you know, it's someone's kind of chapter, you're approachable and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, you get the odd comment when you walk in past, you know, bit of a rude comment, you never know what they could shout at you, but, yeah. How do you deal with that when you get the wolf whistles and the Just whatever Just got to ignore it, it. Keep walking, ignore it, don't give them any attention. Is that something that, that you've adopted or is that something you're you're taught to, to do? Not necessarily taught to do. I mean, you're not going to go back and flirt with them or anything like that. But, you know, it's you've just got to ignore it. You know, some of them, childish behaviour, and that's just what they've been brought up with and stuff. But just got to keep walking. But I have found, you know, if there's a new face, that, that might be what they do. You know, who are you? All this and all that. But once they get to know you, they see a familiar face around, they do have a lot of respect for you. So do prisoners try and chat you up? Do you know what? Yeah, I have had it before. Someone asked me if I would marry them. I had to decline, unfortunately. But yeah. Were they serious or, or just jesting? Sure, you never know. You never know what they were thinking on that day. But yeah, they have said the odd comments. I wish I could find a woman like you, Lucy. I need to find someone like you, but got to point them in the right direction, but not necessarily go for me. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think guys who have been, they've had their liberty taken away. I suppose if they're serving a short sentence, it doesn't have the same impact as it does on somebody like the 15-year person that you mentioned might be coming back through the system and they've been deprived of their liberty and probably, you know, physical as well as emotional relationships to, to some degree. And I just wonder if when a young female like yourself is working in this space, wherever you get that 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 attention, that too much attention that can make it not just uncomfortable for you because it's constant and you don't need it. You just want to professionally get on with your job, but just whether it, it can wear you down that every day you go to work. I, I, I doubt whether you can wear what you want in a prison environment, for example, and whether that's makeup or a pair of shorts or whatever. Tell me, what can you and can't you do? It's pretty smart, casual, no blue jeans, you know, simple. I just wear a pair of black jeans, top, cover your shoulders up, just pretty simple and stuff like that. Obviously, we don't wear uniform like prison officers, just making yourself look respectable. Obviously, if you wear something ridiculous, that's when you could attract the wrong attention and stuff like that. So we get told just to keep it, you know, keep it formal, keep it smart, casual and stuff like that. Getting past that and moving on to the work that you do with prisoners, what would you say the through the gate most important aspect is? For me, I think it's building that relationship with someone. You know, we've got guys that come in here and I've been coming in and out of here for years. And I mean, I've had quite a few success stories. You know, I had this one guy that... He's like my special case, like he forever will be. But I worked with him 
on and off for a few months and it were actually I picked up his case when I first ever started in this job. He'd been in and out of here for about 20 years and he came back in and he was like, um, I'm going to be back, I'm going to be back because he were coming out, I think he were coming out homeless, he refused any support, anything like that and he came back in and I went to go see him and he were in for a slightly longer sentence and I ended up meeting with him every week. We used to meet every Wednesday afternoon and he just never engaged, he hated people, he was just fed up with the world really and he'd been let down so many times in his life, you know, he found his dad dead when he was 10 years old, he'd been put in care and then he'd just been sleeping rough, heroin crack user constantly for years and then this one time when he came back in we decided, you know, like let's meet every week and let's, you know, let's plan for the future and if you look at that person when I first met him, he used to sit there and he hardly spoke to when he left. He was a completely different person and I ended up getting him into a rehab facility and now he's got a girlfriend. He's been clean from drugs for over, I bet it's nearly a year, been clean from drugs there. So he stopped at the rehab for nearly a year. Now he's moved into his own accommodation and it's a different, it's a different person. So I think it's having. It's having the time and the effort to put into someone to change them because, you know, people have been disengaged, been disappointed. And I think it's when you end up building that rapport up with someone that makes a massive, massive difference because they can build trust in you. So would you say it's because of the you, you mentioned it's because of the relationship that you've had with this guy, but it ultimately has to come from within, doesn't it? When he's yeah, ready to stop taking the drug. And, and what do you think made the, the difference from him? Because, you know, you can sit down and talk to a prisoner all day long and they can pour their heart out, but that's not going to stop them taking drugs. So what do you think as a specialist made the difference because lots of people are interested in rehabilitation lots of people want to stop reoffending. lots of people think that they can make the difference to change people's lives but you actually and lots of people like you sit down in those rooms or in those cells wherever it is you do your stuff with these guys like you did with this guy on a weekly basis and you see the 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 minor changes that start to make a difference in their lives and what would you say say that is it's difficult one really I mean I obviously got on really well with him but it took time at one point it was like drawing blood out of a stone you know there were times where I would sit there and he were like yeah no no and he would not speak but I think it's the consistency so you know I said right let's speak so for example, he came in, you know, he was feeling really depressed. I was like, right, let's speak to the mental health team, see if we can change any medication, stuff like that. And then I said, right, so let's, you think about this this week and then we'll catch up next week. And I think it was that not absolutely bombarding him at first. And I think it was that slow progress and stuff that really benefited him. And I said, look, like we've got this place that you could go to when you're released. What do you think? And at first he were like, nah, nah, not for me, not for me. I've done rehab before. It's not going to work. And I said, look, you know, you need to give it a chance. And he said, I'm fed up with this life. I'm fed up. And I think obviously when he's had this realisation that he wants to change, then he's willing to give it a go. But yeah, it is difficult. It's fascinating, actually, because it, it's interesting the kind of rapport you have to have with these guys and you give them a little bit and hope that it improves something. But what does it feel like for, for you? Because it must be endlessly frustrating that oh, you yeah. have one guy after another come in and all they're doing is going, Mm-mm, and all they're really caring about is their next hit or or just ticking the right box at the right time so they can get further in progressing to get out. I mean, what's it like for you having to deal with with these individuals that we hear stories about all the time when you're in that room. Some you make progress with, some you just, you know, like you say, blood out of a stone. But what's it like for you? It's frustrating. Don't get me wrong. There is some days where you just think, oh, my God, this has been amazing. But then there's other days where you want to bang your head against a brick wall and you just think, oh, God. I mean, you know, you try your hardest and you do this and that. Think, oh, I've got this this guy. He's got some great opportunities when he comes out. And then he'll come out, don't go to his probation apartment, and then he'll get recalled. And you just think, right, I'm back to square one. You know, I had a different guy that he, I ended up through the, through COVID, we had a thing called the homeless prevention team. So it was basically the probation service was paying for people's accommodation. And I got him a six month 
fully paid private tenancy. And, you know, a few months after that, he did a runner, Nick's washing machine. And you just think, oh, my God, all the hard work I put into it. But it's just one of those, it's frustrating. But I suppose you've got to think about the benefits, you know, like for that case. I'm, trying, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm just trying to visualise this guy running down the road with a washing machine. Honestly. Which must have, I, I, I joke, but that that is the day-to-day chance. That's the reality, yeah. isn't it? Because you've yeah. done all you can. You've set this guy up. Yeah. But, but something, when he's on his own yeah. or when he needs something, they just and, – and how do you stop that? That is the biggest battle, those little battles, but the biggest battles. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a positive person and I always have been, you know, and I just try and think, right, you know, let's give it another go. I mean, I've got guys that every time they come back in, I've worked with them. And I suppose, like, I remember speaking to my manager about the guy that's about the washing machine issue. And she was like, yeah, but if he's come back in this time, think about the little changes that you can make you know and I suppose when I do look at it you know he came back in and then he went on run but then this time he handed himself in you know I suppose it's slow progress but it is frustrating but you've just got to just got to push yourself and be fine do you have any powers at, at your disposal and by that I mean you talked about being able to get this guy um, during the COVID period, period, and people need to understand that you know prisoners coming out do need to be housed and protected in the same way that that we, the public, do. But do you have any powers to make things happen? Because that's key, isn't it? The resources at your disposal. If you can phone up the housing office to get a prisoner about to be released accommodation, that goes a long way to preventing that individual committing a crime almost immediately, which is one of the biggest, biggest problems. So first, let's just deal with that in terms of resources and power or, yeah. and the team that you work with generally. Yeah, so basically within every case, so I have a buddy from Catch-22 and Catch-22 will do the housing, employment and finance. So it's like if, say for example, if this person comes in and they was homeless, then and if they lived in Leeds, then my buddy from Catch Twenty Two will then arrange the housing, and then I will do everything else. So, you know, it's looking at different employment opportunities and stuff like that. You know, like I've met a lot of people on LinkedIn that have been saying, "Oh, I've got all these um, training courses, you know, guaranteed job offers," and it's been great. You know, there's like loads and loads of different opportunities for guys that are coming out now. We get the jobs direct from DHL, like the delivery and stuff. Like there's like loads of different things like that, warehouse work. So there's guys that are coming out with jobs, interviews and stuff like that. And I think over time it's improved like dramatically. Do you have to do you have to physically arrange for that prisoner to go to that location to have an interview with such and such? Or do you invite DHL or, or any other kind of service provider or, or, or company into the prison? I mean, how does it work where you bring together an employer and, and an offender to try and bridge that gap of reoffending? So in normal times, put COVID aside, we have a thing on a Thursday morning called a resettlement market. So that would be, so guys on different wings could pop the name down and it's for a couple of hours and there'd be loads of different people there. So it could be, there's a rehab, there's the job centre, there's a different accommodation provider, you know, it could be a supported housing, employment for ex-offenders and stuff like that. that. So that was really good. So the guys could go in, you know, have a chat with different people. They used to be able to go on the phone if they wanted to ring the bank and stuff like that, change direct debits or whatever. So that was really good. But obviously now COVID struck, obviously we can't be having a load of guys mingling in a room together. So... There's been a lot of different things. I mean, I got a guy who came out with a full-time job for the job centre and it was the best thing ever. And I had to help him fill out his application form. And he was working as a work coach for the job centre. So he'd done like a bit of hospitality here and there before. And he'd previously worked in like a call centre. And I said to him, oh, this job's come up. It would be amazing for you. You would be so good at it. So we filled out his application and I got in touch with them and was like, yeah, we're really happy with him. Um, can we do a telephone interview? Went to go get him out of his cell. He'd done all his hair. He'd combed, combed it back and stuff like he was going to a proper interview. And went in and they just asked him some questions over the phone, proper telephone interview. And he got it. And he came out of prison 
started as a work coach for Leeds Job Centre on a salary of £26,000 a year, which was wow. amazing. So, yeah. And, and, that, and, and that is life changing, isn't it, for, some, for someone Absolutely, yeah. who, who's just come out of, of prison. But again, it does come down to the fact that he is one of a few because we know the statistics and um, we hear them all the time. I don't know what the current statistics are, but they always say somebody serving less than 12 months will come out and end up back in prison yeah. within X amount. So 60%, I think, of prisoners yeah. are, are involved in this revolving door. A, a huge percentage will have mental health issues, drug problems, housing problems, relationships, and all the other kind of problems that you find in A, deprived areas or in communities where, you know, there is a, a low job market, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that through the gate, now just tell me first, do you think that through the gate makes a difference in the lives of prisoners? Because it has been criticised over the years as, as something that is not as seamless as it was proposed to be when it was first introduced, I think, back in 2015 by the former Chris Graylin, I think, introduced yeah, the Transforming right. Justice. Yeah. So I know that you've not been involved in this particular aspect for long, but a year's long enough to, to, to become insightful. So do you think it's doing what it says on the tin? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, but I've had a lot of success stories, but I know it is difficult. But I suppose before, guys just used to come out and nothing were ever sorted for it. Whereas now, say if you walk down a wing they know where you're from and they know oh yeah can I do that creating safe relationships course can I do this can I do that do you know what I mean and I think over time especially since I've worked here over the past year you know it's very familiar and I know things are going to change again in June and we don't know really what's happening at the minute and stuff regarding because obviously we're going back to the government ITTG through the gate is not going to be a thing anymore so whether we're going to be based in the community or based in the prison, we're still unsure. I mean, fingers crossed prison because I love working here. But, yeah, I think it does work. And I think, people, like I said, like people have got familiar with the service. So, you know, you walk down the wing and people know where you're from. They know that you're going to get assigned someone from our team when they come into custody. So I do think it works. Does the statistics show that it works today? Are oh, because of through the gate? It's enhanced because I read something the other yeah, day that says enhanced. enhanced. Yeah, it's so it, it's not through the gate anymore. It's enhanced, enhanced through the gate. Enhanced through the gate. Yeah, enhanced. What's the difference? Do you know what? I've got no idea. It probably isn't. They just <laughs> added a word at the beginning of yeah, it. Yeah, I think it was through the gate, wasn't it? That was created in 2015. And then I think in 2018, this is when enhanced through the gate came in. So we had teams based in the prison. So obviously, we've got a team here across West Yorkshire. We've got one at Leeds, one at Newhall Ladies, which I'm going to go do some a few days there shortly. And then we've got them at Wheelstone. So We've got different ones everywhere. You've t- you've touched on the COVID. H- how has that impacted on on the work that you do? Because the case studies that you've referred to has very much involved you being in the presence of these individuals. You, you know, whether it's taking the guy out of his cell with his slick back hair to get on the phone and have an interview, or whether it was you, you, you know getting this other guy the accommodation, etc. How has COVID? impacted the through the gate work that you do and others do I mean it's been tough we have still been coming to work every day throughout it all but we've had we had some more things put in place so instead of seeing the guys face to face we had an in-cell phone put in so we used to be able to go to the phone which still there now you can still use it you could go to the phone and you could directly ring their cell so instead of seeing them face to face you could just have a conversation with them over the phone, anything like any information that you needed to pass on regarding like interventions instead of doing them face to face, we'd hand them the worksheet so you can do that by internal mail, post that to them and then follow it up via a phone call. So it's it's been all right. It's worked well. It works, but it it still misses the the kind of face to face, eye to eye contact and, and you can see whether the guy is 
taking drugs because his eyes are red raw maybe as opposed to over the phone they say no I'm clean as a whistle but yeah you know, and they... I always think as well it's like what about if they don't get on with a Padme are they really going to want to talk about their past relationships when they're in front of the Padme you know you've always got to think about things like that I and for the audience when you say Padme yeah. you mean cellmate cellmate sorry that's the uh, slang for the prison Padme <laughs> yeah so would you really want to talk in front of your cellmate padmate about what's happened in the past some of them don't want to some of them are really comfortable but not all of them so I think it's thinking about things like that personally for me working face to face you can tell the facial expressions I've had guys cry to me before so I think it has made a massive difference but fingers crossed soon we will be back to normal and working on the wings again fully you, we, we talked about your partner, Catch22, and the work that they do around housing, financing and, and employment. And we talked about, you know, the resources you have at your disposal to, to make these things happen. I mean, is it really, I'm just trying to understand why it's successful in some places and not so successful in other places. Does it come down to local businesses uh, and, and corporations, if you like, taking an active interest in providing something that can change the lives of these these offenders? Or, or is it really the skill of the work that you do? Or is it the prisoner wanting to work with you and with anybody who's prepared to give them a chance, a, a yeah. second chance? I mean, it's like, so catch, so let's give an example if someone was living in Leeds and they were homeless you'd get in touch with the local council and they could they assess them as a priority of need so you know band A band B whatever regarding their needs and if they should be housed but obviously you've got a load of other accommodation providers you know you've got people like Compass you've got Beacon and they're more of a supported accommodation so it could be I don't know a block of flats but you still get that support. And then, you know, as time's gone on, you know, I've had a lot of work with like rehabs. I work with one certain place in Castleford called Reflections and that's amazing. And that's where the guy that I got out, he went there. So I don't, it is hard because obviously you do get a lot of guys that are homeless and especially throughout COVID, you know, no one could come out homeless. So they had to be put in temporary accommodation. So that's when the homeless prevention team came in so that could be either they wanted to find more long-term sustainable accommodation so like for the guy that I got he got the six-month private tenancy fully furbished fully paid for for six months what what happens after the six months well he obviously went on the run so nothing Mm. with that if it was a success yeah what would happen? Um, so he, I mean, he was working. It basically said to him, after the six months, you're going to either have to take over the monthly payments or you're going to have to just find somewhere else. But that six months time frame would give him time to get himself on his feet, decide what he wants to do. Does he want to go live back with his family? Stuff like that. You know, a bit of a range of different things, really. When they walk out of the gate, I mean, you've done stuff with them in preparation because that's what this is about, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. about preparing them for their yeah, release. Of course, yeah. they, they've got to the date of release and they walk out of the gate. You've, you've organised a few things for them. Is it then left to the prisoner to, to activate, if you like, there on? Or are you still there holding their hand for a better way of describing it? When, when do you stop your relationship with the prisoner you started a relationship with? So basically, throughout the whole time in custody, we will work with the community probation officer. So we'll constantly communicate with them and same with other agencies, you know, housing, employment and everything. But at the end of so the day before the release we we as a through the gate worker would write a resettlement plan so that is putting everything that we've covered so as an example it'd have your probation appointment your accommodation update your employment your finance your relationships if there's any active restraining orders no contact request substance misuse have they got a release appointment for a drug and alcohol service in the community mental health any interventions anything like that and that would then get sent over to the community probation officer so before they leave prison we would then hand over all that information so it's ensuring a smooth transition into the community 
and and if that works, it, it it can prove successful. And if it doesn't, obviously they end up back back in prison. And I suppose that there are lots of pieces of the jigsaw here that need to to fall in place to make the picture. Because if you can't communicate with the probation officer, or the probation officer changes, or your report is not good enough, and the probation officer can't activate on your re- so there's lots as well as the prisoner sort of going turning back to drugs. So it's it's quite a, a huge challenge. Is this something that has to be done for every prisoner or only those prisoners who are prepared to be involved from when they I come I mean, in? everyone gets allocated someone and everyone will be given a worker. So a resettlement plan will be done for every prisoner that that is being released. But obviously they differ. So like I was saying before, people will get triaged when they come in. So... It goes from a level one primary and a level two primary to then a specialist case. So an example, someone that is a level one primary would have full-time employment, they'll have permanent accommodation, no finance issues and no other issues. So no drug issues or anything like that. But then you've got your specialist cases, which could be coming in homeless. They could have drug issues, mental health issues. So it just, they get triage. We've got like a triage tool that like depends on the level that you assign them. But yeah, so everyone does get a resettlement plan done. And you I think it's about like making maintaining contact throughout with the probation officer and all the different agencies just so it's like the smooth transition back into the community. And I know you can only talk to the work you do in, in Leeds, but I often read reports or hear complaints from people who do the work that you do or similar work that so many prisoners are being released homeless. So if all prisoners are going through this triage and all prisoners are being given this kind of release plan, how is that even possible that that, that they get to the point where they're released, they're homeless, if all this is supposed to be yeah. b- being done for them or helping them? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes things don't work out and, you know, it might be that it's like recently because COVID is dying down slightly around here. And someone might just get, someone might say, right, yeah, your assessors, you can be housed on release, but you need to just report to housing options on the day that you come out. Well, they might just think, I don't want to, I'm just going to do what I did before. And then, you know, you're back to square one. And it is frustrating. I mean, some people, like I've had a guy before and he says, no, I want to be homeless. I'm not bothered about housing. You know, we have to get people's consent when the basic custody screen is done. You know, you've got to have the consent to make the referrals and things like that. But you, I mean, it's not very often, but you do get the odd occasion where someone just says, no, I'm not telling you anything. I don't want any referrals made. Just leave me. That's fine. But they've got to be rare cases. I, I suspect rare. that, yeah, Very. I can't imagine that there'd be many like that. So you've got the kind of tier one, if you like, as you described, those who have committed a crime, they're serving some time or they're held on remand, but they have a, let's say, a stable existence yeah. outside work, accommodation, they might be a parent, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then the ones who are struggling through mental health, drugs, homelessness. Yeah and all that kind of stuff. What would you say the ratio is in in terms of the numbers of individuals you deal with? Would you say it's a 50-50, you know, 50% are tier one, 50% are three? Do you know, it's it's such a vast range. Like, it is different all the time, you know. You could go through a few times where you get new cases that are homeless and that are in for shoplifting, but then you could get people that are coming in for driving offences, it's, it's a, it is different all the time you know people coming in on section 18 wounding then you could get people that are doing it's, it's literally a range of different things all the time what's the most frustrating thing about the job you do i think it's when you put so much work into something and then someone comes back in and that has up i mean i've had some guys where i've had in i mean over the year and a half i've worked here i've wrote four or five resettlement plans for them and it's just repeating the same information because you know you tell them what to do they engage in custody then they get released and then they go AWOL and then we're back to square one and and who would you say is at fault is is it 
you because you've done all you could do but once they got out you've left them it's because you know they're just a repetitive offender and their lifestyle leads them back I mean or or, or would you say it's bigger than that you know that the resources available to keep that person on track after all the work that you've done are just not there in the community yeah I mean we've introduced different things I mean there's a couple of people in our team that are called high intensity transition officers so they will have a small smaller caseload in the community but and in prison but they work with people in the community and through the gate so in my position I work with people until the day they're released and then that's it I've finished that I mean there is some cases like the guy that I got into rehab I still speak to him every so often see how he is you know because I'd hate to think that I've disappeared off face of the earth you know but we have some really complex guys that a couple of guys in our team will work within the community. So say if they are coming out homeless, they might meet them at Leeds Council and they'll go in with them. They'll, you know, see if they're okay, fill out some forms with them, help them set up the universal credit, take them to a drug appointment, phone the doctors for them and kind of give them a bit of assistance, you know. So it, it is rare, but some people don't have anyone, you know, they don't have family. I've been brought up with a really supportive family, so I can never imagine being in that situation. But, you know, it's sad that some some guys in it have nothing. So when they come out, I suppose, working with one of the guys in my team, they'll help them with like loads of different things. And it's been really successful, some of that. You know, he's kind of supported them here, supported them there to help them for like a few weeks once they've come out of prison. How do you separate, just listening to you there, how, how do you separate your sense of, humanity being a human a woman who cares um about what's happened and your professionalism as as in you you know you're being paid to do a job in a prison with with offenders because you mentioned the guy that you helped in the drug rehab that got the job you didn't feel like you could abandon him I mean how do you and where do you draw the the line it's hard I get you know yeah it, I suppose you can't you can't take things home with you. Do you know what I mean? In the sense that work's work and your personal life is your personal life. But, you know, you get em- emotionally invested in this kind of work. And I remember the guy that got, in- that got into rehab, it were months and months of doing work. And I'd got him a gate pickup. He'd gone there and I'd, he'd got my number and I'd not heard from him. And he texts me about three days after. And he just put, thank you, Lucy, you've saved my life. And I literally broke down to my mum. My mum like, what's wrong? And I was like, he's texts me, like, he's doing amazing. He loves it there. And yeah, it's great. But it can be emotional sometimes, especially, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone about the, tra- the childhood trauma and the crying in front of you. It's hard, but you just got to kind of put it to one side sometimes. But who protects you? And I don't mean physically. I mean, who protects you from from the weight that you're having to carry from the stories you hear from these prisoners, especially those who have gone through traumatic childhoods of being abused or even today where they're grown men and you see them break down or they can't look after themselves, etc. Where do you get your therapy from? I mean, there's a prison care team. So say if there's anything, if you're struggling with anything, there's a prison care team. You can go and have a chat. You know, it's all anonymous and stuff like that. So if you were struggling, you can go and have a chat with them, have a stuff like that. But I've been fine. You know, we all get on really well as a team here. So, you know, if anyone is struggling, you know, you can have a chat and say if you've got a case that's come back in that you've worked with before, it might, they might say, right, someone else take this one this time you know I did all I can maybe it'll be like better if we have a fresh face and stuff like that but we do support each other it is hard work but it's it's been fine why do you care so much I mean I I I, and and I say that with the most respect because I can imagine in 15 years time 20 years time when you if you're still working in the same space hopefully you'll be managing the whole thing but (laughs) at, at the moment I I I get a sense that you know, your youth drives your passion, your passion drives the reason you care, because you can see that you can make a change, etc, etc. And I just always wonder that if in 20 years, 30 years time, when you've probably got your first wrinkle sprouting, (laughs) you you, you know, you'd be desensitized. It doesn't sound to me like you've been desensitized at the moment, you know, you're still emotionally involved in gosh, something can be done. Yeah, I don't 
I don't really know. I am. I'm sp- I've always been a caring person, you know. And like I said, I'm really positive. And some people are like, oh, I don't know, you can be so positive all the time. But that's just like who I am. You know, I've always been the same. And I suppose it just comes in my favour working here. But I suppose there will be a time when I think, oh, my God. But no, it's just not happened yet. Let's hope so. <laughs> what do you think you don't have at your disposal? I mean, I say you, I mean, people that do the job that you do, whether it's you, Catch 22, the community, probation officers, you see it from all all, all aspects um, and from the prisoners and the prison staff. You know, we don't forget them. Um, what, what do you think is not at your disposal? What's that little bit more that could help you do the job that you're trying to do, which is, you know, reduce reoffending. It's difficult because we have a lot of, I mean, West Yorkshire's is a big place, but, you know, more opportunities for when they come out, you know, like we've got this supported accommodation and stuff, but supported accommodation can only hold a certain amount of people, you know. So, you know, there needs to be more of those. And I don't know, it's it's a tricky one, but... I just think more things for ex-offenders when they do come out. Like, you know, there's only so many people, so many places that can house a certain amount of people. And, you know, like an example, a rehab space, if the word gets around that, oh, he's going to rehab, I could really deal with that. The place in Castleford only holds 20 lads. So with a prison population here of 1,200, you've obviously got a lot of guys on remand, but you know, spaces are short and we've got like bass accommodation and, you know, it's the numbers are low, really. But they do run, they run kind of um, drug therapy sessions inside the prison yeah. as well and have and have all kinds of projects, I suspect, and programmes inside the prison for those prisoners. Um, maybe they're not as effective, but they're, they're, they're a stepping stone towards drug rehab therapy etc yeah i mean we've got because so we've got a daz in the prison which is the drug and alcohol team so someone will get assessed when they come into custody and then say if they were using heroin or whatever they'll get prescribed methadone for example and then a lot of them do like interventions so they could do alcohol awareness you know heroin awareness impacts of different things and they do a lot of group work you know a lot of them together and it is really beneficial and then that gets taken on to the community so for example in Leeds they go to forward Leeds in Bradford they go to CGL so it's like we'd get that release appointment for those that are coming out and then they'd carry on that in the community and also carry on doing interventions as well so they're more aware. What do you see your future in this space being I mean where did you think or want to be at in 5, 10, 15 years time? I honestly think that I will never leave the probation service. I absolutely love working in a prison and I can't imagine myself now working anywhere else. I mean, What do you mean you love? What do you mean you love, love working in I a prison? I can't even what, describe what, it. I just but What is it? Is it do you do you <laughs> like seeing men locked up? Do you no. like the smell or the atmosphere <laughs> of the place? You said at the very beginning of this interview that you were frightened as much as you were looking yeah. forward to it. You were frightened but but what is it? Is it because you see people that are far more vulnerable than you are and you think, right, my calling is to help people. I mean, what is it? Do you know what? I can't even actually put my finger on it. I enjoy the environment. It's, I love working with these men. I love working with my team. And I think we've got such a good team together. And the success stories, what happens in the prison, you know, loads of different things and I now can't imagine myself working anywhere else I mean I'd like to do some different things you know I'd like to try a female prison I'd like to try youth offenders different things like that but given the five to ten year time frame I don't know I'd like to become a fully qualified probation officer and then just see where it takes me after that could be the governor one day who knows (laughs) well good luck with that Lucy is there anything that I've not asked you about the work that you do and the stuff that you witness that you want to talk about before we come to an end. I don't think so. I just think overall in this kind of job, it's focusing on the individual. You're not focusing on the negatives. You're trying to focus on the positives and that's what you're trying to get out of the rehabilitation and get that smooth transition back into the community and hopefully reduce the reoffending. Do you think people get that? Because we, you know, the whole criminal justice system gets hit 
constantly by the media any little thing that happens and I say any little thing I'm not playing things down but I mean sometimes you have one incident and they make it sound like the whole country is releasing every prisoner etc you know they really hype up and and create this moral panic Uh, what would your message be to people who don't have the privilege of being in the place that you do which is witnessing it firsthand you see it day to day in your in your job yeah of course yeah when I'm in the prison you know like we said before I'm a young woman on my own walking around I feel very safe we've got a lot of staff you know if you need to speak to someone that could potentially be a bit dangerous if they're on the segregation unit you've got people around you at all times and it is generally a safe environment as much people think it is daunting it's not once you get used to it it's fine but that is the danger in itself. You become complacent and then before you know it, I mean, there's always one individual. But just in terms of, you know, people's belief around drug users, homeless people, gang members or, or repeat offenders, you know, people have this image in their head that they're all bad people. They all commit horrible crimes and we're all going to be a victim of them one day. What would you say to those people? I'd say that you have to always think about what's happened in their past. I mean, nine out of ten people have had trauma in the childhood. They could have been sexually abused when they were younger. And it's crazy. Now I've actually seen this working on it firsthand, how often that is. You know, like the guy that got into rehab, his, he saw his dad hanging from a ceiling when he was 10 years old. That has obviously triggered trauma in him to do what he does and you know that they think it's normal to shoplift do this take heroin on a daily basis and stuff like that so they're not bad people you've got to give time you've got to put your time and effort into it and hopefully it'll change and everybody can can contribute to that to some extent can't they you you know if you see a homeless person don't just judge them on the fact that they smell or they're sleeping in dirty clothes because there is a story behind every man and woman that yeah, is, is is homeless. Whether they choose to be or not, there is a story behind individuals. Well, look, thanks so much, Lucy, for sharing your your journey with me and and your take. Thank you very much. And 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 just to summarize, enhance through the gate or through the gate, how would you want people to to remember that? If they don't know anything about it, how would you describe it in a nutshell i think in a nutshell it's trying to work with people in prison to generally stop them coming back to prison focusing on the positives trying to get rid of the negatives out of the life seeing what they can work on and making them changes to make sure they don't come back to prison trying to create that change in the life that'll help them really when they get released good luck with your work and thanks for coming on thank you have a good day thank you very much me too Life after prison is challenging, which I know firsthand. People like Lucy are helping to make it easier and I hope they can carry on the great work that they do. Thanks for listening to this episode and please share and follow us on social media. It would be great if you could rate and review on the site where you listen to this podcast. If you want to support or advertise on the show, please get in touch. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Road Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest booker is Tegan Parsons. And me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.